Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Today on the podcast, Teaching and Teachers. What's the difference in becoming a teacher and becoming a good teacher? For answers to some of those questions, we'll turn to the 2022 Kentucky High School Teacher of the Year, Willie Edward Taylor Carver, Jr., who teaches at Montgomery High School in Mount Sterling. Before we get to Mr. Carver, I want to tell you a little about a couple of other teachers of the year. Ashley Ritchie, uh, a second grade teacher at Beechwood Elementary, is the elementary uh, school teacher of the year. She believes that relationships should be at the very heart of every teacher's why. And Hallie Booth teaches eighth grade science at Ballyshannon Middle School in Boone County. And she is the 22 middle school teacher of the year. She says she focuses uh, her classroom on exploration and giving students real world experiences. And one of her colleagues says one of her biggest strengths is that she teaches people, not just science. But our guest today on the podcast is with us. Willie Edward Taylor Carver, Jr. teaches French and English at Montgomery uh, County um, uh, Montgomery County High School in Mount Sterling. Uh, Mr. Carver uh, says instilling humanity in the classroom is pivotal to ensure learning is happening every day. Mr. Carver, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. I really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, and thank you for starting with Haley and Ashley. Um, the One of the harder parts of being the teacher of the year is looking at these other fantastic people and thinking, what in the world are they doing choosing me? Because Kentucky <laughs> is just brimming with excellent teachers. <laughs> well, when you say instilling humanity, and by the way, we love uh, the fact that uh, you use the word uh, humanity, humanities, uh, and the uh, what we uh, try to stress every single day when we open our doors uh, at Kentucky Humanities. What do you mean when you say you're using humanity to transcend education in your students? Um, that's a good question that uh, I would need a long time to truly answer, but I think at the heart of it is this, why are we even in school sort of question, right? I do not see myself primarily as uh, a tool for industry. My, my primary role is not to make sure students get jobs. My primary role is not to make sure um, that they only have sort of functional skills. My primary goal is to see humans in front of me um, and to make them realize that all of these things that we're doing, history, math, reading, are about the study of ourselves, are about finding our place along the history of education and envisioning ourselves in the future of it. And that involves our personal life, that involves our life as social citizens, that involves our lives as actual citizens. So for me, focusing on humanity is saying to the student, you are a real viable human person with a history and a community. And I can't possibly teach you anything as simple as a comma until we first 
have a language for negotiating that, have a language for um, seeing how that that aspect of you plays into what we're doing because comma usage has a history, has a humanity to it, you know? Do you think students are not hearing that at home or in their community, um, whether it's in the mountains or whether it's in urban Lexington or, or Louisville, uh, enough that they, um, they need to practice uh, or need to learn as much about humanity as they do about commas? I love the idea of practicing humanity. Uh, if I were, if I saw that as the title of a textbook, I would immediately adopt it. <laughs> practicing, um, I think, I think it is such an underasked question that we don't even really have the tools to approach it. But I do know that we live in a society where we're pretty disconnected on some pretty human levels and we tend to cut apart, specialize everything. We chunk everything into um, what we think are units that can provide data. And the effect of that in school and at home is that students feel disconnected. Absolutely. And I think there are some great movements in education um, that probably started 20, 25 years ago towards breaking everything down into manageable units and making, giving students ownership. And ownership is great, right? I want a student to know whether or not they can, um, I don't know, analyze a text for symbolic meaning. But if they don't even know why they're doing it, if they're not given a passion and a purpose for analyzing a text for symbolic meaning, if they're not told the entire universe exists in symbols, your ability to understand the universe is contingent upon your ability to use symbols. Um, your ability to understand yourself is contingent upon symbols. If they're not getting that, then why would anyone care about analysis? I wouldn't. Well, sticking with our, our comma theme, uh, this was uh, a quote that I pulled out of the uh, an article that I think uh, the Kentucky Education Department uh, did on you, quite extensive and, and, and quite interesting. But uh, one student, and it may have been one of your students, uh, uh, made this comment, knowing how to use a comma doesn't take a needle out of my mother's arm. Well, mm -hmm. how impactful and, and how, I mean, that's dramatic in, it, in itself, but at the same time, you just have to think about that for just a moment uh, about what this kid has been through in his life. Yes. Um, I'm always, when I, I think in pictures, and so the picture I have of this moment, this beautiful moment when the student was raw and um, real, um, I think oftentimes school doesn't know what to do with those moments. And so we almost punish it. Um, I don't want to punish it. I want to think about it. And so the, the image I have in my mind is if anyone's ever played uh, Mario Brothers, um, and the third one, when you get to the last uh, world, everything is dark, except for just the places you've been, right? Uh, so as you move through the world, it sort of lights up more. And I think of this as my beginnings in teaching, where I knew I had this light, I have this thing I can bring. And I go in and I'm talking to people. And then my students were able to flip the lights on in the entire world. And then I suddenly realized I've been inhabiting such a small space. And I can't really even know where I'm going 
until I know what your lives have been. And it's not even that I didn't grow up with the same issues of drug abuse and poverty. Um, I don't think anyone in our generation has any clue what these kids are going through because it's so much um, worse for them. But I also have to realize, speaking of humanity, these these human beings sitting in front of me have vastly different experiences with the world and vastly different understandings of what things mean. So for me, comma saved my life. Baseball was boring, right? So no enthusiasm about baseball is ever going to make me want to look at it. No enthusiasm about commas is really going to make uh, certain students look at it. So I think I have to really start to consider who is this human in front of me? What are they going through? And first, are commas necessary? Hint, they are. Um, and two, how can we bridge these two things? How can I bridge the trauma in your life and us talking about commas? And I think that real for me, in this particular case, um, and commas are always the first thing I think of, mainly because of that student, because it was so impactful. It's also the first thing we tend to start with at the beginning of the year as teachers. Um, but when I think about commas now, I think about, the basic punctuation and knowing if you have a complete thought, knowing what a complete thought is, honoring your own words, honoring your own ideas. When we start with that, when we say to students, you have an experience that no one else has ever had, I want to make sure you can communicate that as best as possible. Let's start with your experiences. Once that's established, let's talk about commas. Let's talk about ways to make your experiences better rather than until you can master commas, you're not going to be able to write anything. Why can't we get to the essay portion of this class, <laughs> which is what I remember from high school. Willie, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you got to the classroom. And, and I'm just going to imagine that uh, someone who uh, sees uh, your great honor that has been bespo uh, bestowed on you uh, would think that Willie Edward uh, Taylor Carver Jr. Uh, grew up in the mountains and went to Moorhead or, or Eastern or Murray or UK and, and uh, got a degree and um, went right into the back to the mountains uh, and, and, and taught. But my goodness gracious, you had such an interesting circuitous route uh, to get back to that classroom. Tell us about your, your life experience and, and how that uh, helped uh, form who you are today. You'll have to stop me at some point or I could talk forever um, because of the people I admire, the people I admire deeply and profoundly who've pushed that life in certain directions. Um, it, their school was always something important to me. When I think about grade school, it, I, I loved learning, but I never did it outside of school in the traditional. I never did homework or anything like that. But I had teachers who cared deeply for me, um, teachers who spoke my language teachers who knew how to do, like once I have a firm memory, a strong memory that comes back to me a lot. And this is Marcy Dameron, um, who was my fourth grade teacher who noticed that I had shoes that were falling apart. The, the sole was coming apart and we taped it and there were holes in it. And so she knew how to talk to me. She said, uh, Willie, do you want to help me clean today? I hate to ask you, but I know you have a late bus. So for three days, she has me helping clean her classroom. And on the third day, she says, oh, look at this pair of shoes I've found. My son has left them. Um, and then she offered, and I, of course, said no two or three times until she insisted that it would make her life easier if I could take them. She understood how to speak to me. She understood 
uh, what poverty does to the mindset of a child from the mountains. That has been all of my teachers. They have found ways to make my life better and make my life more beautiful. Um, in high school, I had a high school French teacher who came in on a motorcycle mid-year. Um, this <clears throat> loud, gregarious woman who uh, found herself in the mountains. She was from Louisiana. Um, I dropped physics and chemistry to take her class twice a day. <laughs> um, the, the guidance counselor said, Willie, you have to have a year of a year of science. And I said, half a year of chemistry, half a year of physics. That's a year of science. I'm going to only do French forever. And I remember sitting in class and looking on the walls and there were pictures of people in cafes. Um, there was just so much beauty. And I remember thinking this can't be real. There can't be a place this beautiful. Um, and I chased French. I chased, I still chase French uh, because the French have part of how they understand humanity is joie de vivre, is this emphasis on life having pleasure and beauty. And I discovered even the language itself has that. So speaking French was a way of being able to create beauty anywhere I was, right? Um, that's why immediately after college, I taught English in France, I, um, and I did some study abroad, thanks to um, Kentucky has great study abroad programs, probably among the best in the nation for ensuring that um, kids who don't have a lot of money uh, can make it. The Kentucky Institute for International Studies cannot talk uh, more highly about. Um, then I, I, I found myself teaching in a small village in the north of France. Uh, with kids with strong regional accents who were afraid uh, to go into the big cities and basically found myself again in Appalachia. Um, it expanded my idea of what Appalachia was. What I, I, I discovered that poverty is much more of a kinship than cultural difference. Um, chasing French led me to the University of Georgia, led me to be an instructor. For a while, um, but I realized if I'm going to make a difference, it needs to be in K through 12. It needs to be with young people, um, which then led me back <laughs> to teaching in Kentucky. And I'm proud to say uh, my students are so smart, so great. Every year for the last four, minus COVID, which isn't real, well, the disease is real, but school during COVID is not regular school. It's hard to count it. Um, but I've, I've been able to have students leave immediately from the classroom and go to France every single year to, to do study abroad programs. Um, and it's so great to, to keep giving. Willie, I'm surprised uh, that you seem to be, and your resume tells me you're a, you're a man of the world uh, of many experiences. And so many people are looking to get out of uh, Kentucky, uh, not necessarily Eastern Kentucky, but uh, Eastern, Western, Central Kentucky, and 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 do something else with their lives. You you had this uh, golden opportunity being in France and speaking fluent uh, French. Um, for that matter, you were at the University of Georgia. Some it's arguable. Uh, I would uh, fight to the death that we're a better state than uh, those uh, dogs are down there. Um, <laughs> Uh, bulldogs, that is, um, mm -hmm. that, um, but you had an opportunity there uh, in, in graduate school and that sort of thing. Why, what, what brought you back to, to Kentucky? I love Kentucky with all of my heart. I, I, anytime I'm not here, I feel a sense of absence. Um, and I'll, I, I was actually at a dinner party in Burlington, Vermont, 
Uh, I taught there for a couple of years and a woman was actually upset uh, at my dedication to a sense of place. I don't know why it was a trigger for her, Um, but she actually became frustrated and said, it makes no sense. You should be a free human. You should be able to do whatever you want. And I said, and, and your place is uh, dirt is just dirt wherever you go. Right. You should just find the best dirt. Um, But I think there's so much more to it than that. One of the, pivotal moments that made me realize I wanted to go back to Kentucky. Um, I was at the University of Georgia. I was sitting in a class. It was um, advanced historical sociolinguistics or something equally complicated sounding. And I just looked across the room at very smart people um, and thought, my sister is more intelligent than anyone in this room, including the professors. It was taught by two professors. Again, they're intelligent people. My sister didn't go to college. Um, I don't think she'd have had many. It would have been a very difficult road for that to have happened for her. And so that's when I really realized the untapped resource of intelligence in Kentucky is so great that someone has to be helping lead that to making Kentucky. I wouldn't even say better. I'll say stronger um, because Kentucky is already good enough. But the systems that we need to secure our own health, to secure our own access to resources. Those systems require advanced ed and education is often hostile to especially Appalachians, but I think to a lot of Kentuckians, even when education doesn't want to be, I think it is. Um, So that's why I want to be in Kentucky. One, to help, but two, because I think the people are gorgeous. The people are beautiful. and I know we have the best resources here. Uh, those resources are the people. Well, you um, you speak with such wisdom. You, you uh, quite honestly sound um, like you should also teach a philosophy course uh, at the same time. And I'll have to tell you that I'm I'm curious, and we're gonna I'm gonna ask you some teaching questions here in just a moment. But I'm just curious. Um, because of your experiences in other places and, and uh, your um, conversation with the woman in uh, Burlington, uh, Vermont, um, I, I've observed uh, the people uh, in this uh, state for many, many, many years. And I believe uh, fervently in uh, what Governor Paul Patton used to uh, tell us all and still does, uh, that uh, the key is education, education, education. And mm-hmm. we've been doing that for decades and decades. Yet, if you look at the latest uh, statistics uh, that measure uh, educational attainment or uh, college uh, attendance uh, or even postgraduate, um, and then you look at the recruitment of uh, folks from outside to work here, uh, mm-hmm. we're we're down at the bottom. Um, our teacher salaries are sitting there in the middle of the pack. We should be way on down in the top 10. Um, and I just, uh, at times, maybe it's frustration uh, after so long, thinking, when are we going to break out? What, what, is, what is holding us back? If all of these bright students mm-hmm. that you had, how long have you been teaching at um, – and Montgomery County? Uh, roughly 10 years. I'm terrible with numbers, but about a decade. 
So if you went back uh, to that uh, 10-year graduating class uh, of seniors, I hope you would tell me that 95% of them went to college, that 75% of them are making $75,000 plus, um, and that they're productive citizens, no matter where they are, that, that maybe half of them have traveled abroad. Uh, you, you get my, my gist. I do. I yeah. do. When's it going to um, turn around? So the, I, this, this is such a multifaceted, nuanced question. And I think for there's a million ways to approach it. I'm going to tell a story um, that my nephew is probably tired of me telling at this point, but I told him, I'm going to tell you this story. Um, so my, uh, brother, um, is an addict has been for 10 years. He lost uh, custody of his kids. They both ended up, uh, they all, all four ended up living with my parents and have for a long time. Um, these are kids in Eastern Kentucky who have a thick regional accent and you know, you're talking to a gay man who knows about stereotypes and how harmful they are. But at the very least, always as a gay person, I could look on television and see that good liberals were trying to help me feel good about myself. We're trying to remind me that there was nothing wrong with me. No one is doing that for Appalachians. No one's doing that for hillbillies. No one's even attempting it outside of Kentucky. There's some great groups in Kentucky doing it. Um, so this, this nephew um, was supposed to start high school uh, this year. Floyd County, one is uh, their their what their students are learning and what they're producing is so great that Bill Gates has come to say, "How are you doing this?" Because the discrepancy between um, what we think are the resources the students have versus what you're creating is unheard of. Um, so the students are learning, right? It's measurable. So he uh, they built this brand new state of the art school. Uh, the kids call it the Taj Mahaler. It's that fancy looking. <laughs> He was standing outside of it. My mom was walking in with him and he's like, I've got to go put, I've, we've got to go get new clothes. I can't walk into this place. So she takes him, buys him a new outfit. They go back to the building and she says she walks in and turns and he's already gone. Um, two of my nephews, actually, they both ran away. They took to the hills. Um, they were telling themselves a story. That story was no matter how smart I am, no matter how good I am at this stuff, this is not for me. And that story is created by generations of trauma. And that story is created by people outside of Appalachia who have been telling it for generations as well. Um, our job is to shift that narrative. And I think our focus has been entirely on educational gains in terms of commas, right? And schools are doing a great job with that. Um, our schools, for example, ACT scores have consistently gone up year after year since I've been working, but that hasn't created a tangible effect in what students do with that knowledge, right? Um, so I'm, I'm working with a nonprofit to talk about what a narrative curriculum could look like. How can we shift narrative practices in the classroom to get students to tell a different story? And I interviewed 20 students in Appalachia. Um, and I'm still going through everything, but I think I can share this portion. I asked every student about their future, what they want. And I can't begin to tell you how intelligent these kids were, how, how, how um, insightful they were. They all had big plans. They all had big dreams. They all wanted something really good with their lives. And I said, why? The why is where this gets 
emotional. Of the 20 kids I interviewed, 19 are running from a potential negative future. I don't want to be on drugs. I don't want to be poor. I don't want my kids not to have what they deserve someday. I had one kid just run towards something positive, uh, running towards a positive future, uh, who wanted to play baseball in a specific school. So this is the shift we have to make. How do we get kids not to just run from scary things, but run to beautiful things? And there's an approach, I don't remember her name, by a researcher in Texas, and I really like her approach to ethnographic studies, um, who basically says, don't treat your subjects like you're observing animals in the field. Talk to them. Tell them what you're trying to do with your, let them do the thinking for you, right? So I let these kids do the thinking for me and said to them, yeah, in the last sort of group, once I realized this was a trend, how do we bridge that gap? How do we bridge the gap towards running from something scary that's based upon what you've seen and running to something beautiful? And a 16-year-old girl who'd had some pretty difficult life experiences said to me, well, this will sound stupid, but honor? And I go, it sounds so smart, I don't even know what it means. What does honor mean? And she said, can we honor the pain and the struggles of our stories by doing something beautiful? And I was like, right? Here's a graduate level philosophical approach coming from a 16 year old because she's had the life of experiences that, that itself is a resource towards that hope. So that's, I think that's what we have to do. We mm -hmm. have to start teaching kids hope, hope despite, hope as honor, honor as hope. I'm talking to Willie Edward uh, Taylor Carver, who is a French and English teacher at Montgomery County High School in Mount Sterling. He is the and well-deserved 2022 uh, School Teacher of the Year in Kentucky. And we're going to continue our conversation right after this word from our great friends at Spalding University. Spalding University's Low Residency MFA in Creative Writing offers outstanding instruction in a supportive literary community study across genres, explore the interrelatedness of the arts, travel to Paris next summer for short-term study abroad, or stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies on campus. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen, and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Willie, uh, tell me about the, um, the happy club. Um, so it never it dawned on me when I became a teacher that I would be an after-school club organizer at all. Um, I didn't do many of them in high school. But what I always, and it sort of marries this idea of hope I was just talking about, when I see a kid at all with an idea, I see myself as like, I don't, the facilitator, like, what can I do to make whatever dream you just created big? How can we make it real? So the moment a kid says to me, oh, someday I want to live in France, I'm like, done, let's get some applications. Let's make this happen, right? We're, you're going to do this next year. Let's talk to your mom. I will take her out to dinner um, and convince her that she should let her 18 year old baby boy go to France. Um, so with the happy club, I don't remember what moment we were having nationally, but it was sort of just a sad moment in America. Um, 
it was right after the Bataclan attack in Paris. Uh, so we had just done a project with a school in France and had communicated what France meant to us to try to counter that narrative on an American scale. And some kids were just sitting at the front of the room and one of them said, I just wish we had like a club where we could just try to make people happy. Like I got up, sat with them and said, tell me more. What are we going to do? How is this going to happen? Before I knew it, we had a happy club. It had 40 members. um, And the goal of that club was purely injecting happiness. We, We did not focus on major systemic underlying issues. We just did silly and goofy things. So ride writing letters to teachers, telling them how much they meant to us. Um, We cut out these little fat cats uh, out of paper. We chose it as the motto or symbol for our club just because it was so ridiculously joyful and wrote random positive things on it. I think we distributed about a thousand of them. Um, We would color. We would just have 40 kids in a room coloring and hanging up their art as if we were in third grade. Um, But it was a we this year has been difficult uh, for any after school club, so we haven't really gotten that particular club off the ground this year, but it has always been a joyful delight. And those kids are smarter than me. They're, they're <laughs> better than me. I had um, I had a I will, I will openly admit a failure as a teacher. I had a student who had um, specific different needs to the other students who was very upset by the noise uh, level in the room, but who this was the first club that student could have gone to probably. And I spoke very calmly and said, Hey, we really want you to be here, but it's going to be a noisy space. So if there's, you know, I don't think we can make the noise stop. So, you know, how can we help you get used to the noise? Because if you can't get used to the noise, I don't know that the club will be a good place for you. The next meeting, the president of the happy club says, we heard that someone told a member that we would not accommodate her. Um, I, I need everyone in this room to know if we all need to do what's best for a kid who needs the most, we will never say that. And I had to say it was me. And, but I loved it. I love that the kids were like, Mr. Carver, we are happy, but we are also good. Like we, we will accommodate this student and all of us can work quietly. Um, maybe we can have a quiet so that they, they, they created a, a halfway mark where everything would be quiet. Um, so that, that student can come like that's 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 why we should be listening to these kids, because I think they're already beyond us <laughs> personally. Mr. Carver, what lies ahead for you? That's a good question. Um, the genie is out of the bottle a bit. Um, I have found I've my major advocacy um, for the last five or six years has been for Appalachian and LGBTQ students. Um, and I think the, the rhetoric dial has been turned to extreme places I've not seen in my lifetime, honestly. I don't think it was necessary before because it was just the status quo that people could be anti-gay, right? And I think the dying gasps of those old anti-gay people are creating some scary scenarios, um, particularly for trans students. And my, I have definitely seen myself as an advocate for those students, um, a protector of those students, um, someone who was willing to make things uncomfortable if necessary to make sure that they were heard. And in the last few months of speaking to teachers and students across the state of Kentucky, what I've learning it, what I've learned is 
there is a large gap, a large gap in Kentucky and probably across the United States because we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about these things out loud between what schools should be doing for trans um, and queer students and allies and what they're actually doing. Um, so I know I can do a lot more advocacy now than I have ever done. And I know that that's going to be part of whatever happens from this uh, point on. I've, I think being named teacher of the year made me think suddenly, oh, I can, I can do things. And so I started doing things. And then it occurred to me about a month after, not a single thing I've done has anything to do with me being teacher of the year. I just suddenly decided to write an op-ed and share it. I just suddenly um, decided I want this to happen. And then I made it happen. Um, so advocacy, uh, protecting uh, America's kids uh, is first and foremost, L making sure if we're going to talk about humanity, right, that we recognize their humanity before we destroy it. Do you think you'll still be a teacher in 10 years? I think I'll be a teacher on my deathbed. Um, <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> now, what that means is something completely different. Uh, will I be in the classroom? I don't know. Um, it's, I have been in the classroom since I, since before I was in the classroom, I was teaching my teddy bears at age four. I have a profound, nerdy, um, annoying sometimes desire to see someone who needs something and then get it for them. Nothing brings me more joy in all of life. And another joy I have is exploring this beautiful world, exploring this beautiful universe. I want to know everything about it. I want to know uh, about numbers. I want to know about sounds. I want to know about words. I want to know about history. Um, so bridging the, I can marry those two in the classroom, right? I can say, here's some cool stuff and I want to give it to you. Um, so I'll always be a teacher. Uh, whether I can bridge those two gaps better outside the classroom someday or inside the classroom, uh, especially as a gay teacher, I'm going to be honest. I don't think it, I don't think Kentucky's classrooms are safe for LGBT educators anymore. Um, as a general rule, there's some great districts and, um, but time will tell, right? Well, you've been a, um, an inspiration to so many and, uh, you continue to do that uh, work. Uh, and, uh, I hope that, uh, so many more people, uh, students and adults, uh, are exposed to your uh, philosophy and your your thoughts, uh, your uh, teaching uh, abilities, uh, your commas. Um, and uh, we appreciate the time that you've given us today. And congratulations again to you as uh, Kentucky's uh, 2022 uh, High School Teacher of the Year. Thank you so much, Bill. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. You ask great questions that have me answering things I've never thought about. Uh, so I really appreciate that. And hey, anyone out there listening to this who wants me to talk to a group of students, email me. My first and last name, Willie Carver at Gmail. I will gladly talk to anyone who wants to listen. Um, since I have to talk to people who don't want to listen all the time and my husband's getting frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck to you. Thank you so much. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.